0: Radio 104.3 The Fan Every Saturday morning it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Terry takes you inside the outdoors You know, hunting, fishing, camping It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Now, here's
1: Terry Good morning Hey, I left to go to Florida to do a little relaxation and fishing I came back yesterday and winter showed up while I was gone So, uh, although it's a very Although it's a little chilly, it's a very welcome change. We've got, the, we need the snow in the mountains. We need water. We need some cold weather to get ice fishing and, and other seasons kicked off. Even some of the hunting, the waterfall and, and upland game, the, the cold weather is going to help. We're going to talk about a lot of that today. Um, we're going to talk some fly fishing in just a minute. Also, later on in the show, we're going to talk about wildlife interaction in the winter, both, uh, from a safety standpoint and for what it can do to the animals, it's a wonderful time to view wildlife, but you have to be careful and considerate it, the impact you're having on them. We are going to talk a lot of ice fishing conditions. We're going to take you around the state with several different guests and talk about whether there is fishable ice, whether there will be soon and what we can look forward to. And our dog trainer, uh, Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels, is going to talk about If you go out and with somebody for the first time and you both bring your dogs, and one is a pointer and one is a flusher, how do you address that? That's going to be an interesting topic. That'll be in the second hour. I do want to let you know that next week on Saturday, I will be broadcasting live from the Jacks. Uh, in Loveland, the one furthest west, closest to the mountains, the one that's, uh, used to be a big Kmart store there as you're headed out of town on Loveland right on 34. It's a beautiful big store. We'll be rod- broadcasting from 9 to 11 next Saturday. Stop by and say hi. And at that same store on the Wednesday following, I'm going to be there with my friends from T-Mobile. And we're going to be helping you do your Christmas shopping from noon to 3 on Wednesday the 23rd. So stop by and say hi. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And uh, the weather changed while I was gone. It did. Welcome back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, uh, I I was looking at. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's just definitely starting to feel like winter out there, that's for sure. Yeah, we had some, it was
1: 7 degrees this morning at my house. Um, we got some cold weather, and we're going to talk ice fishing, and there's still going to be open water, but there's still going to be a lot of ice uh, uh, fly fishing, and in the rivers, in fact, there's going to be a couple 60-degree days coming up yet, and actually, I've been able to fly fish right through the winter by picking my spots.
0: So how do you guys at Blue Quill approach that? Do you put your rods away, or you keep fishing? Oh, you know what, Terry? A lot of us, we love fishing in the wintertime. Um, We love fishing all winter, even as cold as it gets. A lot of times we get away from the summer crowds all winter. Um, We scratch that itch and go and fight and fish in the cold weather and the cold uh, water temperatures. And so, um, no, we absolutely do not put our rods away. We keep fishing all winter long. Um, Our tactics change quite a bit. Uh, but there's still plenty of fish to be had, and, um, and just like you said, you look at the forecast for the coming days and you see a couple of nice days pop up, usually those nicer days are going to be a little bit more productive on the water for you. Um, but even when it gets down cold, you can still have a lot of fun and find some really willing fish. So tell me, first of all,
1: what, where are some of the places, some of the rivers you feel will probably still be fishing pretty good in the near future, and what kind of tactics will you use to approach them?
0: that's a great question. Um, You know, in the winter months, we try to focus on tailwaters, and a tailwaters just refers to a river that's controlled by a dam. And usually that means there's enough river flow coming out, it doesn't freeze all the way over. Um, And so two of our mainstays that are both within about an hour drive of Denver is the Blue River right below Silverthorne there, and the South Platte River right around Decker's area and up and through Cheeseman Canyon. Traditionally, this time of year, you want to try to follow the sunlight a little bit, too. Um, you know, so the canyon areas, whether you're fishing on the Blue River below Green Mountain or it's Cheeseman Canyon, sometimes it gets so cold up there, those are tougher days. But when you find more open water and open sunlight down at Deckers and on the upper blue, um, you'll find plenty of willing fish. The thing about it is in the winter months, You want to start transitioning and targeting the slower water, the deeper water where the fish don't have to spend a lot of energy holding their place in the current. That's where they stay all winter long in the rivers. That's where you'd be the most productive fishing is that water that's nice and deep and real slow moving. Um, And in terms of our tactics on fly choice, the main bug that's active all winter that those fish will key in on is called a midge. And a midge gets really, really tiny. And that is our mainly our main focus all winter long. Midges come in a variety of different colors from reds to whites, blacks, browns. Um, but a lot of times in the wintertime, a red one, a white midge, and a black midge is usually our mainstays. And you want to go real small down to a size 22 or even 24 sometimes.
1: Now, when you're fishing these midges, you're talking about fishing them subsurface as nymphs. Do you ever do any dry fly fishing this time of the year?
0: Yeah, that's not a really good question. So most of most of our fish are caught on nymph rigs this time of year, but there are days where you can have phenomenal dry fly fishing. And it really depends on how thick that midge hatch gets. Um, But a lot of times when you see those little fish rising and they don't jump like they do in the summer times, you see big splashes, they're barely sticking their noses out of the water and slurping little flies on the surface. And so this time of year, dry fly fishing is still productive. It's just more technical. You got to go really tiny on your dry fly and make it almost really hard to see on the surface of the water. And you want to start targeting that, again, that slower water, the little back eddies you see. That's going to be really good dry fly fishing in the uh, winter months.
1: Now, one of the things I found, and back to the nymph fishing again, as you mentioned, the slow, deep water here, Chris. Um, On the Big Thompson, which is close to my house, I fished it in the dead of winter. One weekend, it was 20 below. And then the next weekend it warmed up and I fished that next weekend. And it's also a tailwater. I was fishing it up towards Estes Park where the water is coming out of Lake Estes. But what I found I would find during the winter is that this fish really, really schooled up. I mean, we, I would find pods of fish so big that I probably could have stood all day and just cast, cast upstream into that pod because when I'd catch a fish, there were so many fish there, it didn't even spook them out. you find them that concentrated at times?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's because same sort of thing, you know, in the winter months when they're starting to really, their metabolism slowing down, right? So they're not eating as much. And that's why you're going to find a lot of them being big pods, a lot of numbers of fish in the slow, deep water runs. Um, you know, in the summertime when the water's, Way warmer and the fish are more active and they're eating heavier. That's a little dispersed and they'll sit in faster riffles and shallow parts of the river. Um, but you're exactly right. This time of year, you have great chances to not, I mean, you want to try to make the odds in your favor. When you can cast at a pot of fish that is 10, 12, 15 fish deep, your odds just go through the roof. And like you said, this is the time of year to find that and look in that slow water.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, so you like the blue you guys like deckers um there's a number of tailwaters throughout the state i mean there's tailwaters on the taylor there's tailwaters on a number of rivers and the water if you get a bottom release dam the water tends to be close to 40 degrees so it tends tends to keep those fish as more active and keeps the ice off so you can fish so the message is don't put your fly rods away In the, in the winter, because there will be great opportunities. Although there's opportunities for other things too. A lot of people are going to turn to fly tying and a lot of people are going to turn to things like classes. And we've got Christmas coming, Chris. So that's kind of a play on words. There we go. And (laughs) anyway, so put your, put your Chris Kringle hat on now and tell me uh, if, if people are looking for some last minute Christmas
0: gifts for uh, fly fishers, what have you got available at Blue Quill? Yeah, you bet. So um, we have a few different options you can go to, um, but we have training classes that we run all summer long. And traditionally we're on a three or four month wait list. And so if you have someone who you want to have get into fly fishing, who's been interested to in learn how to fly fish, we sell gift certificates for our training classes. Um, it's probably the highest regarded training class of fly fishing in Colorado. Uh, we have some of the instructors have been doing it for such a long time and are so passionate about teaching people. That is always a great option. We run clinics and classes on tying flies. So if you have an angler in your life who's looking to get better at tying flies or learn how to tie flies, um, we have classes for that, which, again, we have gift certificates for. Um, and we even have, if you have someone you know who wants to get into it, we have rod and reel setups here at the shop that are really Um, really great rods for the value that you pay. And um, it's just tons of options. Best way, give us a call here at the shop. We're always happy to help. We can mail stuff to you, get you um, in state, usually within two, three days of your order. And um, yeah, our number is 303-674-4700. Call us, let us help you out, and we can help point you in the right direction. It would be a really good gift.
1: Well, you know, another thing I believe is that a lot of fly fishermen are very intimidated when they go to buy gear, whether it's for fly fishing or when you're starting to tie flies. What type of vice do I need? What accessories do I need? What materials do I need to start tying some flies? Uh, Most of your classes and clinics, you don't need equipment to attend. And it really gives you a heads up and understanding the equipment and maybe a, a better idea of what you want to
0: start with on your purchases, doesn't it? Oh, Terry, thank you for saying that. That was spot on. Um, it really is. So, you know, if you have that person in your life who's interested in time flies, they can come take a class up here without spending any money on any of the equipment for it and really understand, hey, is this something I really want to do? Or is it something that wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be? And it's the same with our training classes. You know, before people go through with the purchase of buying their own rod and waders and boots, all of our classes come with all that gear. So nobody has to spend any money on that and really make sure that they're going to love fly fishing before they go through with the investment.
1: No, you're really, it just, it because it is a little different buying fly, well, buying any outdoor gear because it becomes personalized. And, you know, you'll see the ads, you'll hear that this is the best rod. Well, take a fly rod, for instance. Most beginning fly fishermen probably shouldn't buy a $1,000 high-end fly rod because they're not going to be able to control it. They're not going to be able to load the rod uh, they don't need a super fast rod. They can get by with a much less expensive medium action rod that's much more forgiving when you cast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it could be so intimidating for people to get into it. Um, our shop, we pride ourselves on being welcoming to everybody. We all started at the same square. We all started, uh, learning how to tie knots, learning how to tie our rigs and understanding how to read rivers. Um, and so our staff is so good at helping people out. Please don't be intimidated. Call us up. We help people who've never even held fishing rods before. Um, anything we could do to get you on the water and get you into fish out is what we are here for. All right, Chris, tell them how they find you. Oh, uh, you bet. You bet. So you can find us online at www.bluequillangler.com. Um, we update our social media, getting much better at that, too, with our Instagram and Facebook pages. Um, and like I was mentioned earlier, always feel free to call us. If you need to, hey, I'm going to go fish deckers and want a few recommendations of flies, or go fish the Arkansas River below Pueblo, which is another great winter fishery, call us up. We can point you in the right direction, help you out with anything you need, whether it's fishing advice or Christmas gift advice. Anything, give us a call at 303 303- Six
1: seven four forty right, my friend, we will talk again soon, but in case we don't talk before the holiday, have a great Christmas.
0: Hey, you and Karen as well, and thank you very much, Terry. It was great talking to you. Alright, thank you. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quill Angler.
1: Really good people. Been friends a long time. They do a great job up there in Evergreen. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We're going to talk about animal interaction and wildlife viewing in the winter on Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Wixom Outdoors. Presented by Jack Outdoor Gear. They've got locations up and down the Front Range. Stop and get your last-minute Christmas shopping done. They have something for everyone. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, uh, District Wildlife Manager Tom Davies. Good morning, Tom.
2: Morning. Hey,
1: for I do like I, uh, I. Oh, thanks for coming on. You know, I, I was in Florida, and I was joking when I opened the show. I came back, and winter showed up in Colorado—at least in a lot of places which means a lot of the mountains are actually getting up to a couple feet of snow. And when that happens, there's some animals that get a little lazy. One in particular you and I are going to talk about that loves to get on ski slopes and trails and take the easy way because of as big as it is, it's kind of a lazy creature. And this is going to be a great opportunity to get right up next to them and take selfies, right?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, if you want to get stomped
1: on. <laughs> yeah, and, we're, of course, we're talking about a moose. Um, I, you and I agree. I think the moose are majestic. People love to watch them. They're an incredible animal, probably the most dangerous animal in Colorado. Would you agree?
2: I would absolutely agree with that.
1: So what what is going on this time of the year? Why will we see some more moose? Is it because they're lazy? They do tend to like to walk where it's not as difficult, right?
2: Well, I mean, it's like any other critter. They're going to take the easiest path of resistance. Um, And in winter, when there's heavy snows, it's easier to walk on the paths that humans create. And that's that's where our conflicts happen.
1: And uh, some of the places, some of those conflicts you told me and I didn't realize how much of this happened. We're going to talk about trails, too, but it happens even right on our ski slopes. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We, every year we have calls about moose on Breckenridge and Keystone walking on the slopes. And uh, most of the time it's the moose just comes in, doesn't like to have all those people and then leaves. But occasionally, uh, people, like you said, want to get a selfie and, uh, want to see the moose way up close. And that's just a scary situation.
1: It really is because, <clears throat> moose are probably the only member of the deer family that seem to have no fear of human beings, and they don't really have a, an apex predator in Colorado, so they kind of rule the roost, don't they?
2: That they do. Yeah, they. there's not really any predators here. We don't have grizzly bears and wolves Wolves, as of now, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's not really any big threat to them, and they don't consider humans a threat.
1: And so they they don't run away like an elk might or or a, or a mule deer or even a whitetail, especially how oh, they they run away and and they look like this big clumsy cow like animal. And I think they don't instill a lot of fear for that, but they're very um, they're very dangerous. And you talked about the stomping is what they do. So if I'm on a ski trail and I do see a moose, how far away should I stay and what should I do?
2: Um. What I like to tell people is the rule of thumb. If you can extend your arm out and cover that moose up with your thumb from your eye, you're at a pretty safe distance. I know that seems like it's far away, and it is, but that's a good safe distance to be, because moose are unpredictable, and uh, the biggest thing you can do is just give them their space to let them do what they need to be doing. What about, you
1: also, you know, they're also going to be on cross-country ski trails and snowmobile trails and snowshoe trails. What if I'm snowmobiling? Can I get around a moose if I go quickly, or what should
2: I do? If you find on any trail, the best thing to do is just turn around and find another trail to go on. Uh, leave them alone. A lot of people try to push them off trails with snowmobiles and a lot of times those moose come back after the person and we've had them go injure people and stomp out, you know, completely total a snowmobile. Um, They're not an animal to push, that's for sure. Just if you find them on a trail, go the other way and find another trail. There's a ton of trails out there that you can go play on and have a great time without finding a moose
1: what about if I'm just hiking and I come I find myself just inadvertently too close to a moose um can I tell how they're gonna act do they show any signs and what should I do
2: there are signs that show that there's uh, that they are aggravated and you're proud you may get attacked um if they lay their ears back and put their head down and the hackles go up on the back on their neck and on their back, that is bad news right there. Um, but the best thing you can do is, if you surprise one, just get away from it as fast as you can. Um, if you have a dog, especially off leash, uh, you might try to forget about that dog, because if it runs after the moose, um, that's going to get real ugly really fast.
1: Well in fact, dogs are probably i think the huge majority of moose attacks in Colorado involve dogs. People walk with their dogs, whether on or off on or off a leash, but off a leash in particular and if, and then my advice in moose country is don't take your dog at all if you're in moose country because it's just too dangerous both for you and the dog and the moose could be long long term too but what what i've always my belief of the encounter, what seems to uh, happen is the dog sees the moose, it goes and barks at it. Moose see the dog, no matter what size is some form of a wolf. Rather than being afraid and running, they get aggressive. So the moose chases the dog. The dog, when it gets scared, runs back to its owner. The dog runs away and the owner gets stomped. Is that a pretty good uh, description of what usually happens?
2: Yep, that's that's pretty solid. The (laughs) slowest one is the human. And, uh yeah, they're the ones that are going to lose. And in the end, if somebody gets attacked by a moose, the moose is going to lose. So um, there's, there's no winners in that situation at all.
1: No, and, you know, moose are really fun to see. They're incredible. I go up to uh, State Forest State Park quite a bit, and we've seen quite a few moose, and I've hiked up to Zimmerman lake and encountered a moose. And I had to sit at a trail, Karen, my wife, who produces my television and radio shows, and I were filming at Zimmerman lake. And um, there was just one trail kind of around the lake by a cliff. And we had walked around and a moose came and filled that void. Well, we had to sit for a distance away for maybe a half hour or more before that moose left. And we felt safe walking back on that trail, but we just waited it out. But if you do get too close or if they are charging, uh, I think what you told me earlier in the week is the best thing is try to find something big because they don't make great turns. So if you can kind of get behind a tree or a rock, it might defend you. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. If it's near vehicles, get on the opposite side of a vehicle or the inside the back of a truck. Um, something that's big and solid, if you can put that in between you and the moose, uh, that gives you a... Uh, upper edge on making out that situation unharmed.
1: Yeah, we're running out of time here, Tom, but I think the message is moose are great to watch. They're majestic. Uh, Colorado has a very robust population. We've done a great job. Just do it from a distance. Don't push your luck and especially don't get close to take a selfie and try not to take dogs in moose country. Any other last minute comments? No, that sounds
2: good. Just respect them because they will will not show that same respect back.
1: (laughs) They are an ornery critter. They have an attitude. That's for sure. Tom, thanks. That's a great reminder as we get this snow and people are so many people are getting out. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You bet. Tom Davies, District Wildlife Manager. and We're going to talk some more wildlife interaction in the next segment, but maybe from a little more pleasant standpoint because it is a growing trend in Colorado, especially in the winter, for people to get out and watch wildlife, and it is so much fun. I mean, I enjoy the squirrels on my deck all summer long. I People love to interact with nature. We're going to talk about that, how to do it safely, what the opportunities are, and what effect it might have on the animals. On Terry Weeks from Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I'm going to be at the Jack's Outdoor Gear in West Loveland, the newest one there, the big one that's not only an outdoor store but a farm and ranch. Going to broadcast live this come next Saturday from uh, 9 to 11. But then the following Wednesday, the 23rd, I'm actually going to be there with my friends from T-Mobile. We're going to help you with your last-minute Christmas shopping. So come on in and talk to us 12 to 3 at that Jack's Farm and Ranch in Loveland. Love to meet you. Say happy, Merry Christmas and, and maybe help you pick out some outdoor gear. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Parks and Wildlife is Mary McCormick. Good morning, Mary.
3: Hi, Terry. How are you doing this morning?
1: You know, I'm doing great, except, well, first of all, I want to preface this from the fact that we need this snow we're getting in the mountains we need cold weather to get us into this holiday winter mode and I'm a big ice fisherman so we need ice and that's being made right now but I got off a plane from Florida
3: last night and it's cold <laughs> I know that's a big uh shock to your system right when you when you come from know. a place like Florida <laughs>
1: I know. And now everybody that listens, they're going to be, I'm going to get pounded on Facebook. By the way, you follow me on Facebook at Terry Wisham Outdoors, folks. And they're going to all pound me for being a wuss because I'm supposed to be this big outdoor guy, right? So,
3: yeah. Well, there's not going to be a lot of sympathy for you probably either. No.
1: Well, there never is. I used to have this, this stick, I would say. You know, I, we'd take these trips to film our television show all over the world, and I—I I was used to say when I was on the air, we're, "We're leaving to go do this. Somebody will be filling in." And I said, "I don't take any personal satisfaction. I take these trips for the benefit of my viewers and listeners." So,
3: yeah, <laughs> I don't think anybody I think good, it, but, I think, I think yeah. that's a good uh, a good way to try to spin it, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, uh, but the reason you're on right now is people are people don't stay indoors anymore in the winter. I mean, it, winters in Colorado actually are pretty mild compared to some places. And even when they are cold with the clothing we have today and all the winter activities, people love to get out. And one of the fastest growing activities year round is wildlife watching. Now, we just talked to, about moose interaction and how dangerous they can be in the prior, epi, uh, prior segment. But there's a lot of benign, fun ways to really enjoy what Colorado has to offer, isn't there?
3: Absolutely, yeah. And and as you said, uh, you know, wildlife viewing is definitely a huge part of the population. It's a growing uh, outdoor recreation pursuit. Uh, Certainly, just as we saw with other forms of outdoor recreation, especially um, during the last couple of years, Uh, A lot of of interest in getting outdoors and doing all of these activities has really increased. But what is, I'm from the Midwest, Terry, so I understand what it's like to have some pretty cold weather that keeps you inside. And in Colorado, you know, we just don't have um, quite as bad of, of that bitter cold like you have in other places. And so wildlife watching is really an activity you can do year round. And winter is kind of a special uh, time to see wildlife when you, you know, some animals that live in higher elevations, of course, will uh, migrate down to lower elevations. So you might see some, some critters that you wouldn't normally see unless you were in the high country.
1: Well, not only, yeah, they move, they become more visible. Obviously, they, their food sources are less um, which can have a different impact, we can talk about it in a minute, but, and also you can see them better when all the greenery is gone, and we've got the snow as a background, they stand out, and whether it's a rabbit, or a squirrel, or a an elk, or a deer, or <clears throat> even a bear and a mountain lion, um, we have tremendous viewing opportunities here. Now, we want to consider the wildlife themselves, but before we get into the more responsible give us some tips on where can i go view wildlife and what kind of wildlife will i see
3: yeah you know i think that your best bet obviously is where you can go where there might not be as many people i'm sure the hunters in the audience know those exact spots where they uh, can see wildlife and you know um that's your first skill right when you're learning to hunt is to is to view wildlife to track wildlife to keep it to keep in mind that sometimes you might not see them but you'll see tracks you'll see scat you'll see evidence of wildlife uh, so always making sure to, to keep that mind or keep that in mind as well but you know this time of year you know there's there's you know lots of options of course a lot of the the state parks if you can get into onto some of those trails it's kind of is kind of keeping in mind being a little bit quiet, you know, if we're too loud or making lots of noise, obviously animals can hear that, can hear us coming from a long way. Uh, So that could spook them pretty pretty quickly. So so being quiet, um, looking at uh, if you can find those areas that have like a good white kind of backdrop, you know, it's going to be so much, like you said, with that greenery gone, it's going to be so much easier um, to see animals. And I think, you know, what's really important, too, is, you know, some people don't have access to going into the mountains or going, you know, traveling far. You know, you can see wildlife close to home, too. Um, You know, set up a during when bears are not active, as long as you're not in bear country, you know, having bird feeders out and seeing, um, um, bringing birds uh, closer, you know, seeing squirrels, seeing smaller animals in your neighborhood, too, is is another way to just get maybe a different audience connected to uh, appreciating and observing wildlife.
1: Well, and a, a great pair, a good pair of binoculars would be a great Christmas gift for yeah. somebody who wants a wildlife watch. And a couple of reasons, and I know we're going to get into this before we run out of time. And that is the fact that, first of all, for both your safety and the animal's safety, initially, you don't want to get too close Uh, squirrels and birds are one thing, but even elk or especially moose, or if you see a mom lion or a bear, you want to keep your distance. But also when you see herds of elk and deer that are gathered up this time of the year, you really don't want to push them or pressure them because it's also a stressful time for
3: wildlife. No, absolutely. This is, you know, and I know they they talked about moose interactions and, you know, that's just going to be true of so many, so many wildlife species. And this time of year is just such a... Um, difficult time of year for wildlife. You know, they have to conserve their energy. There's not a lot of food resources they've spent, you know, the spring and the summer kind of bulking up a little bit to help them, you know, get through the winter where there's less food resources. And so even just being chased uh, can can do some serious damage and, and could potentially even kill on wildlife. So it's so important we ask, you know, always keeping your dog on a leash is better for wildlife, but certainly during the winter it is so critical um, because, you know, this is just a really difficult time of year for wild animals. Last thing,
1: we've only got a couple minutes left, but the demographic has grown with COVID. More people turned to the outside either for the first time or went back to it. Uh, is Absolutely. something that was part of their past. And they're they're out there in more numbers. And this is a great thing because they're enjoying it, they're seeing it, and it has a huge economic impact. Now, wildlife watching doesn't necessarily bring a lot of money into the parks and wildlife system. It will bring park use in, but not license fees. But there's, I think you're part of a survey to really find out what this impact is. Is that something that's going on?
3: Yeah, we actually are um, have partnered with Virginia Tech University. They're doing a national survey of wildlife viewers just to help us understand a little bit more about this audience. You know what what they're doing, where they're going, what they like, what they don't like. Even uh, I believe there's even some um, questions in there about you know what the impact of COVID looked like on wildlife viewing, and and Colorado has is actually getting some Colorado specific data collected. So not only will we have, you know, the national data, which will probably trend very similar to what we would see in Colorado, but we want to see kind of what specifically people who identify as wildlife viewers here in Colorado, what they're saying about that experience here. So we're hoping to have some really good information to help, you know, kind of help us design the right kind of education and outreach programs uh, that can help serve that audience.
1: Well, I think the message we want to leave people with is, We have beautiful weather, even through the winter in Colorado, be safe, be respectful of the animals, but get out and enjoy it. Even if it's going to Bar Lake, last time I talked to uh, Michelle there, she had saw saw somewhere between 30 and 50 eagles there. There are wildlife opportunities everywhere and people, there's something special and therapeutic about connecting with nature.
3: Absolutely. We saw that, you know, it's a healing thing, right? We saw that over the last couple of years.
1: All right, Mary, thank you so much. And give us an update when you get that survey information.
3: Okay, okay great. I will. Thanks, Terry.
1: You bet. Mary McCormick, uh, just a lot going on in the outdoors. You know, we talk a lot of fishing and hunting on this show, but I feed squirrels on my porch. They come up and take a peanut out of my hand, interacting with wildlife safely in the right wildlife. Like, you're not supposed to feed deer. It's illegal to feed most game in Colorado and but watching from a distance enjoying them um, when you're outdoors i mean if you've been walking a path and you see some kind of an animal don't you stop and watch it's just fun it connects us with nature so that you know just get out and enjoy it you don't always have to fish and hunt sometimes just being in the outdoors we're going to take a time out when we come back Dan Shannon from fishing from Bernie's going to join us and then Nate's going to join us we're going to get some ice fishing updates from around the state and then we're going We also have our dog training segment coming up next uh, next uh, hour. So so much more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on one zero four three the fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on one zero four three the fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Fishing with Bernie is Dan Shannon. Good morning, Dan.
0: Good
4: morning, Terry. So we're finally getting some winter up there. We are. It was minus two up in Granby this morning. Luckily, I get to spend the weekend in Denver, so it was much warmer down here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's good and bad to all of that. I've been whining all morning. I just got back from Florida about having to put up with the cold weather. But as you know, I'm an avid ice angler, and I am. there's an itch to get out there. A lot of people. Uh, So we're going to take people around the state with a few different people, including yourself. And some conditions are going to be getting ready pretty soon with this cold weather. Some are going to take a little longer, but people are hungry for information. So let's start out there. What's going on up in your area, in the Granby area?
4: So the first ice that we've seen, we saw Shadow Mountain uh, cap a couple weeks ago, but then it warmed up and got real windy. So it's kind of sort of got some ice on it right now, but that's kind of the best progress we have in the area. Um, Grand Lake, just on the other side of shadow there, is still open water, but that temp is dropping. I'm guessing there's minus two is going to help progress that along pretty nicely. And we're starting to see some skim ice in the back coves on Lake Grandy, but nothing that's sticking around through most of the day. But, you know, it has to start somewhere. So that, that gets us definitely thinking.
1: Now, when typically, you know, I know I've gone through this, Bernie and I did it for 20 years. We went through... You know, we talk every year on the radio, well, what, what, when's it going to freeze? And it almost always freezes right around Christmas time. It might be a few days early, might be a few days late, but not, it usually ends up when we think it's really warm, it's not going to happen. We think it's cold. It's going to happen early. you think we're on pace probably for around that with Lake Gramby, maybe around the Christmas first of the year?
4: Yeah, I would get my my guess with the water level being down despite the warm temperatures that we're going to be looking um, Probably Grand Lake about that week right after Christmas and probably Lake Granby by that first week of January um, Those are usually pretty average times for both those lakes, but with the water down I don't think that the, uh, the air temps, the warm air temps are going to really change that date much
1: Now <clears throat> You've people when we do get some ice there and it takes off. First of all, do you expect it to be pretty good ice fishing this year with the water down and the fish going to be concentrated? And are you going to change your tactics at all?
4: Oh, absolutely. I expect the early ice to be the be best we've seen in several years just because of that water being down. You know, you have the same number of fish concentrated in a smaller area and you just have to locate them a little different spot and there should actually be more opportunities to be had for any given spot. Um, I Honestly, I think our tactics are going to remain the same. It's going to be to find those areas where they're going to be at early ice and then just be able to duplicate that across the the lake using our electronics and uh and things that we've known from from past experience with the lake at
1: that about that proximate level now the electronics today are just phenomenal we've done a few shows on that but what about just the base tactics when you're going after say I, people like to go after the lake trout on gramby is there a certain presentation do you like spoons tubes jigs i know there's a combination of different things that people like what do you personally like to do
4: I'm a big fan of the tubes. You know, it, that basically represents everything that swims out there in that water in, in one, in one point. Um, it's a, it's a really good representation of a crayfish. It does well to get the little suckers swimming around. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably some other things that the fish see that, that I don't know of that they also think. It also is really good at triggering those reaction strengths too. With just a little change of presentation, you can really focus in on the majority of fish with just one bait. Is there a different size tubes you do? Do you tend to
1: target certain size fish with different tubes, or do you have a couple sizes that you are kind of your go-to?
4: I kind of, I, I start with, uh, I'm fishing for numbers, you know, that, that ear size fish up to 19 inches, I'll start with a tube in the, about the 3-inch range uh, paired up with a 3-8-ounce uh, jig head internal or, or level level jigs that we pour. Um, and as I go up to the larger fish, I, I transition up to the 5 and 6 inches of the primary size. But there's there's times when they'll eat, eat 8 and 10-inch tubes as well. Now, people think about it, a 5, 8,
1: 10-inch tube. It's mind-blowing. Now, when you're chasing those big fish, and you're talking fish over 20, maybe over 30 pounds even, uh, They'll eat an awful big presentation, but you kind of eliminate some of the smaller fish when you do that. So, do you depend on your electronics? Do you, do you, or do you do a whole different trip? Do you say I'm going to target just big fish, which is kind of like hunting, or do you say we're going to go and check our spots, and if we see smaller fish there, we're going to fish this way. If we see some bigger fish on the electronics, how do you how do you handle that?
4: Usually, what we do is we size size out the small fish with the baits. We'll still catch the outlying super aggressive small fish, so we'll get up into the bigger baits. But that makes it really hard for the small fish. They might still bite it, have a hard time getting it in their mouth. So we're going to size up our baits and we're going to get extra mobile. Because thinking trying to find get one of those bigger fish to bite, you really need to put it in front of a bunch of fish. And those fish are older and they've seen a few tubes in their in their lifetimes. You have to catch one, uh, and old Bernie saying you have to catch one in a dumb moment.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I someday you and I are going to get together. I'm going to share a bunch of what. Remember when um, uh, I'm trying the the catcher for the Yankees, like Yogi Berra. They used to have all these Yogiisms. Well, I have a bunch of Bernieisms that I'm going to share with you someday, so you can tell them to your clients because they are uh, Steve Hoffman, who used to be with In Fisherman, and I used to share Bernieisms. So <laughs> that's great. I look forward to it, Terry. Yeah, we'll have to do that. So, any open water opportunities before we move on here?
4: Absolutely, there's a great uh, shallow bite right now on all of our lake trout lakes. You know, as that water's gotten gotten colder, those, those fish do move up into the shallows, and they're able you know, able to target them from shore. Um, usually, it's best early and late uh, throwing minnow imitation baits, kind of like crank baits, your soft plastic flukes, and stuff. And you have opportunities at a true trophy right there from shore along most of the lake shores.
1: Now, you and your guides, have you got it, heard any reports, or do you know of any fishable ice
4: anywhere else? So I had heard that there was some ice up in North Park when we uh, had ice going up there, and by the time we got up there, it had gotten really warm and windy and actually took that ice and made it to where I wouldn't head out. But uh, I would be expecting kind of some of the, our typical early ice spots, like the, the inlet at Green Mountain, which I know that lays pretty low, too, so that's a... That's a possibility. And maybe some of your higher altitude lakes, like you get up there towards Meadow Creek Reservoir up above the town of Tabernash and some of the other other higher lakes, you should have some fishable ice.
1: And how about guide trips? Are you guys booked up? Do you have openings? If people want to book a trip with you to
4: chase these lake trout, can you accommodate them? Absolutely. We have plenty of openings left. We are starting to book up, so um definitely sooner rather than later to get your date squared in. But if you're looking for a guide trip, we got on Grandy, Grand Lake, and Williams Fork. And we have a team of four guides eager to get out. All right. And how do people get a hold of you, Dan? You can get us on Facebook, Fishing with Bernie. You can get us on our website, FishingwithBernie.com, and or Instagram uh at fishing with altitude or fishing with Bernie. All right, my friend, thank you for joining us. We'll we'll get you on right after
1: the holidays and get an update, and hopefully you're going to be on the ice when we get that. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks. Dan Shannon from Fishing with Bernie. I'll tell you what, that lake trout experience at Granby, whether you decide to go after the numbers or chase big fish can be phenomenal. Remember, if you go up there to chase big fish, that you're going to get limited bites when you size up that bait. So if you're going for action, don't be afraid to tell them, or if you're going by yourself, don't be afraid to use the smaller baits and get a bunch of those, uh, either size, keep some of those 16, 18 inch lake trout. They're prolific. They're great table fare. Release the big ones. Um, if you want to see some of the fishing with Bernie's guys up there, if you go to my YouTube channel, the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we have posted several videos fishing with Bernie up there and uh, three or four of them are through the ice in fact, Karen just put one on our Facebook page, Terry Wixham Outdoors. If you go back two or three posts, you'll see where we took our friends from Sun Honda up there and caught a bunch of lake trout on Granby with Bernie. We're going to take a time out. and we come back, Nate Zelinsky is going to join us, and we're going to keep talking ice fishing on Terry Wixham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.